dawned on me with the help of family members around me telling me what the reality was. And once the reality hit me and the next day we were in the physio room and they told me to move my shoulder and it just, it, it, it didn't move. It was a lot of pain, but I uh, found it really hard to, to accept what was happening. Right at the beginning of the class, we were doing neck exercises and I think I really challenged myself to go far on one side of the neck exercises and immediately after doing them, I collapsed on the ground and um, the next thing I remember was being at the front of the class. I was actually fitting and that was due to the oxygen just not getting to my brain. The blood vessel had burst and I was bleeding into, into my brain. It actually took the leaders of the ballet class about an hour and a half to ring anybody. In those days, they didn't have mobile phones. It was 1987. In terms of physiotherapy, occupational therapy, those sorts of things, we did it from day one and it was an awful lot of physio. It was really consistent. Sometimes it was all day long. Sometimes it was during the night, you know, stretching my hand and foot out and it was really, really rigorous physio and often very painful. So my family was really, really wanting me to get better. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear and this is Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. Childhood stroke affects about five of every 100,000 children each year in the UK. The term childhood stroke covers from the 28th week of pregnancy right up to the age of 18. In adults, 80% of strokes are caused by a blockage, 20% by a bleed in the brain, and in children, both types of stroke are equally common. In this episode, we'll hear from Kate Ryan from Newcastle in Australia, who severed her stroke in 1987 at the age of 10. I really remember what it was like and how great it was to live with the use of two hands and to not have a disability because I still have quite a severe limitation now. You know, I can't use my left arm at all and still struggle to walk a little bit. But before that, I was very physically able person, so I was really strong and I did a lot of dancing, so I was quite talented in ballet and some of it in jazz ballet as well. So I was I was doing that a lot during the week. Also a number of sports, I was quite talented at. So I was doing a lot of sport and musical instruments. I was really I was a really sociable person. It was wasn't something I ever thought about having any struggles with social ability. Life was great. I never thought about the future. At that point in time, obviously, it was just about friendships and school. But, you know, life was about bike riding and, you know, going to friends' houses. And I've retained a, a lot of memories from my childhood and a lot, of, a lot of good ones. I can remember everything that happened. So I was in a ballet class. I had a very normal day. And just before I was going to ballet, I, I said to my mum, I said, I have a, a really bad headache and she must have noticed that I wasn't looking the same as usual and she suggested to stay home and, and I was a very, like, driven person and I said, no, no, I'm, I'm going to go. So I went and right at the beginning of the class we were doing neck exercises and I think I really challenged myself to go far on one side of the neck exercises and immediately after 
doing them, I collapsed on the ground. And um, the next thing I remember was being at the front of the class. I was actually fitting and that was due to the oxygen, just not getting to my brain. So the blood vessel had burst and I was bleeding into, into my brain. It actually took the leaders of the ballet class about an hour and a half to ring anybody. In those days, they didn't have mobile phones. It was 1987. Um, but it was, you know, they should have called, should have seen. They didn't call the ambulance or my mother for an hour and a half. So that was really odd. And as we know, time is really valuable in um, this sort of, in having a stroke. So I was in a lot of, a lot of pain and it was really awful there. Um, at the ballet class, they turned the music back on and I had a rip-roaring headache and it really, really was extremely painful. Finally, my mother came after about an hour and a half and she just took me straight to the hospital and I was then transferred to, a, you know, another a children's hospital where uh, they ran a, a number of tests, MRI, CAT scan, things like that, and I was in intensive care. I remember some very painful tests and I remember the people's reactions. I remember my mother's reaction to the news and I remember my feelings about hearing what the doctor was saying. I also chose not to believe it because it was a, a lot of really difficult news to take in. When they first told me, I thought that I'd actually broken my leg and I was I was actually quite excited because I thought I could go home and have a cast on my leg and it would soon get better. But it dawned on me with the help of family members around me telling me what the reality was. And once the reality hit me and the next day we were in the physio room and they told me to move my shoulder and it just, it, it, it didn't move. It was a lot of pain, but I uh, found it really hard to to accept what was happening. Kate was in hospital for four weeks. I had a pretty short stay in hospital because they wanted me to get back to school and be with friends and, and things like that. In terms of physiotherapy, occupational therapy, those sorts of things, we did it from day one and it was an awful lot of physio. It was really consistent. Sometimes it was all day long. Sometimes it was during the night, you know, stretching my hand and foot out. And it was really, really rigorous physio and often very painful. So my family was really, really wanting me to get better. And I did to a degree. Back in those days, you paid for it yourself. So if you are unable to pay for your physio, Unfortunately, it was bad luck. You, you just didn't get it. So we were able to pay for it to a certain amount. But then as time went on and it was myself taking over my physio, I did a lot of swimming and I did a lot of work at the gym and things like that. Also, after about two years of sort of physio, we did basically go swimming and things like that, which, which did a lot of work for my shoulder and my elbow, but didn't do a lot of work for my hand. And at that time, the belief was that you can recover those parts, but you can't recover your hand. Now, the belief is the brain can recover any part of the body, but the belief in the late 80s was that it was a machine and you can only recover portions of the body 
if you're lucky. So it was generally a lot of just going swimming and I took myself to the gym when I was a teenager and as I got older and I still do that now but not quite as much. And um, I've had significant recovery in my like walking but, yeah, I still struggle with my arm and, and sort of no one really expected me to have much recovery in my arm and that was more to do with the level of medical knowledge at the time. Coming up, Kate talks about going to university. It was a time for me to grow up and meet new people and get out of the school system and it was a great period of my life to set me on a new path and I have gone back now to starting a business about diversity and inclusion and that sort of thing. So it's certainly my schooling was a huge challenge, but we got through it. And has advice for stroke survivors and their loved ones. You don't always have to cope. You don't always have to be at your best. And it does get better. And advice to family members is just remember that they've had a stroke. (laughs) Just remember that it's really hard for them and and that it will get better for you too. Let's hear how Kate's stroke affected her education. I had my stroke when I was in grade five. Of course, immediately I was, I was not at school, couldn't go back. And um, my family did want me to return as soon as I could. But I had a, a fairly long period of time where I, I wasn't at school for I think about five months because my brain was really still in that state of confusion. I needed a lot of sleep. I was still doing very regular physiotherapy. And I think at home we were doing a lot of at-home brain work, so to speak. My parents were doing sort of brain games with me and that brain activity that they did with me has benefited me right through to today that I own my own business and I was able to read difficult texts at university and things like that. So we were doing um, fantastic things like started with paint by numbers and where's Wally and puzzles and, and games like that to really activate those brain cells that could have remained dormant, but they but they didn't because of these brain games. So in those initial stages, I was off for about four or five months. And then I started coming back to school sort of two days a week or three mornings and things like that. And then going on to secondary. So by the end of primary school, which is year six, I was at school permanently. And then I went to a private school. It was a smaller school. So it it was all girls. So we just got a bit more care and support from the teachers and the, the families and the girls who went to the school. That's when things got really tough. And it was um, actually a school for academically advanced children who are advanced with sport or, or music or things like that. And it really pained me because before my stroke, that was an area of life where I was really advanced and I just couldn't do it anymore. So I spent a lot of time just being resentful that nobody understood that I was once that girl who could do all those things. I found that physically it was really difficult. I was still at the early stages of recovery. Friendships were okay, but just still there was a lot of confusion and difficulty with a lot of the um, reading and maths. It It was still a slow and steady pace for me. Although with time, by the time I got to about year 12, 
which is when we do what's called the HSC, it did start to pick up, but it was a really slow and steady pace for me. I didn't do that well in high school, but it was also set back by the fact that I was diagnosed with epilepsy while I was in high school, which was really, really challenging for a teenager as well. So I was having seizures at school and in public and at home and was having to spend a lot of time off school. Once I got through the secondary school, I did actually go to university, which was a good choice because I did a course in like diversity and inclusion and disability. It was a time for me to grow up and meet new people and get out of the school system. And it was a great period of my life to set me on a new path. And I have gone back now to starting a business about diversity and inclusion and that sort of thing. So it's certainly my schooling was a huge challenge, but we got through it. Kate's stroke also caused her to develop epilepsy. As my doctor explains it, so the neurons in my brain were not connecting. They were misfiring because of the damage and the yeah, the damaged brain cells and the inactivity. So I was suffering from mainly absent seizures, but they then extended to pretty bad seizures for a, a long time, particularly in my university years and after. So I was diagnosed with it when I was 14, but probably had it a bit before that. And then I think the last one was when I was 21, which was a nice birthday present. That's been about it since then. However, I'm on um, some really strict medication and without the medication, I would have a seizure. So it's an absolute blessing. The epilepsy was nearly worse than the stroke. I was isolated, very, very sick. The side effects were just awful. So it's a miracle <laughs> that I don't have seizures anymore and the medication's just just wonderful. Kate has since set up her own company called One Handed Living. I've got a book out there already. So that's been out for a while called Beyond Stroke, Living Independently with One Arm. It can be bought from the publisher's website, which is ryanpub.com.au. And it is filled with a whole bunch of visuals, so pictures and brief written text on how to do things like pants on or tie your shoelaces or make a fruit salad, cut an apple up, things like that. So that's done really well. It's done well in the UK. I've started to now put videos online and I'm now doing a book, which is coming out soon, about the grief process after a stroke because I, I feel through my experience that I didn't get a lot of support grieving after having a stroke. The emotional side of having a stroke was just as big as the physical challenges and the physical recovery after having a stroke. It's just as big a recovery as the emotional recovery after having a stroke. So I'm writing a book on that at the moment, which should be out in the next couple of months. So it's sort of slowly coming together. There's two pieces of advice. You don't always have to cope. You don't always have to be at your best. And it does get better. And advice to family members is just remember that they've had a stroke. <laughs> just remember that it's really hard for them and, and that it will get better for you too. 
Kate had her stroke at such a young age and doctors at the time weren't able to determine what had caused it. Despite her path through education being a struggle, she's made it through to the other side and now runs her own company providing help and advocating for those with disabilities. Don't forget to subscribe to Stroke Stories and rate and comment on the episodes you hear. It really does help us spread the word. And if you are or you know of a stroke survivor with a story to share, please contact via Twitter or Instagram. Our DMs are always open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,